Welcome to Global Trade Talks, brought to you by Kroll & Mooring. I'm Robert Holliman, a partner in the law firm and president and CEO of Kroll & Mooring International. Our firm's global public policy, public affairs, and market access affiliate. I'm joined by my colleague, Nicole Simonian. I'm Nicole Simonian, a law partner in the Los Angeles office of Kroll & Mooring and co-lead our global international trade practice as well as our international employment and global mobility practice. Trade Talks is a podcast that shares brief perspectives on key global issues in international trade, current events, business law, and public policy as they impact our lives. Let me turn this back to Ambassador Holliman, who will introduce our guest. Our guest today is Bruce McConnell, who is the president of the East West Institute. Bruce leads and manages all of the Institute's work to reduce and mitigate security conflict among nations, engaging with government and corporate policymakers in China, Europe, the Middle East, Russia, South Asia, and the United States. Bruce leads the EWI's Global Cooperation and Cyberspace Program, and his work involves the Institute's engagement on addressing security risks from emerging technology, and in the Asia-Pacific region. Prior to joining East-West Institute in 2013, Bruce served for four years at the U.S. Department of Homeland Security, where he was Deputy Undersecretary for Cybersecurity. Previously, he served on the Obama-Biden presidential transition team, and from 2000 to 2008, he created, built, and sold two consultancies, that provided strategic advice to clients at technology, business, and government markets. In 1999 and 2000, McConnell led the International Y2K Cooperation Center for the United Nations and the World Bank. Thank you so much for joining us today, Bruce. We are very pleased to have you. Could you please share with us a little bit about yourself? We would love to hear about your background in technology, public policy, and what you are now doing with the East-West Institute. Thank you very much, Nicole. And Robert, it's great to see you and be here with you today. Robert has done an excessively good job of outlining my professional biography. I am serving as the president of the East-West Institute, an international nonprofit dedicated to preventing and reducing security conflicts between states. EWI has been around for 40 years, working with major powers to promote dialogue, build trust, and solve seemingly intractable problems. I came to EWI seven years ago, initially to head up their cyberspace cooperation program. We all depend on the safe and reliable functioning of cyberspace, and yet it has become a conflict zone. Countries are attacking each other, as we see in election campaigns worldwide, and there is also a dangerous presence of organized crime that uses cyber attacks on financial and other institutions to fund its drug and human trafficking activities. As Robert said, prior to joining East-West, I served in government and business, Homeland Security. I was in charge of ensuring the cybersecurity of federal agencies and U.S. critical infrastructure. Four years ago, I successfully escaped the East Coast to return to California, where I went to school and where I live today. Robert and I have worked together since my Washington days, and I very much appreciate our friendship and professional association. Bruce, the East-West Institute co-launched the Global Commission on the Stability of Cyberspace in 2016. 
Of course, data and information are really at the heart of international commerce and trade. They're a key connector for governments, for citizens, for industry. Love to hear some of your key perspectives about the work of the Global Commission, its impact, and the importance that you feel that that has continuing to resonate in our society. Thank you, Robert. The Global Commission on the Stability of Cyberspace brought together two dozen international cyber and political leaders from the US, Europe, China, Asia, Russia, Africa, South America, and the Middle East. Over its three-year term, it was chaired by Marina Kaliran, the former Estonian foreign minister, Michael Chertoff, former Secretary of Homeland Security, and Latha Reddy, former Deputy National Security Advisor of India. It was originally conceived and funded by the Dutch Ministry of Foreign Affairs, and EWI was honored to be the American partner. The Commission's goal was to develop policies and processes that would promote peace and security in cyberspace. We talked to a lot of people, and in the end recommended eight norms of responsible behavior for states and non-state actors in cyberspace. These rules of the road are very much needed. It is too much like the Wild West in cyberspace. So for example, we recommend that countries not require companies to put exploitable vulnerabilities in their products and services, and that companies not cooperate with such requests. This has become a problem in several countries, including our own. We recommended also that companies should not conduct offensive operations in cyberspace. This is so-called hackback, and it creates many more problems than it solves. Perhaps the most important norm we promoted is our call to protect the public core of the internet. Here we are talking about the routers, the undersea cables, and the software and protocols that make the internet work for everyone. It has become a basic and essential service for all humanity. We recognize that states will use cyber weapons in conflicts. What we are saying is that they should not attack the public core that everyone depends on. This norm has enjoyed widespread support finding its way into law in Europe and is being considered as well at the United Nations. So we believe the commission made some real progress. Of course, there are still many problems. Norms are voluntary, not binding. And assigning accountability and enforcing the rules are two hard problems that are not yet fully solved. So there is much more work to be done. Bruce, this year, under your leadership, the East-West Institute released a new report that was called Weathering Technationalism, a security and trustworthiness framework to manage cyber supply chain risks. Now, in that report, you expressed some concerns about technationalism as a phenomenon that can create significant trade barriers. You outline a framework to address ICT trustworthiness in a way that's intended to enable trade, competition, innovation. Can you share a little bit about your key findings on that report and why you believe a framework, but specifically this framework, is both helpful and a means to reduce or at least minimize our trade frictions? This report goes directly to the problem the US government is seeing with Huawei and other Chinese technology and that the Chinese government likewise sees with US companies. It's a cybersecurity issue that has become a trade issue and even a geostrategic issue. We define technationalism as a preference for domestically manufactured hardware and software. There are so many problems with this idea. 
First, all information technology is globally sourced. An iPhone contains components from dozens of countries. Second, just because you make something at home doesn't make it more secure. Your engineers may not be any smarter than someone else's. Cybersecurity is hard to get right. There are over 50 million lines of code in a major operating systems like Windows. Of course, there will be mistakes in the code and those create vulnerabilities that bad actors will find and exploit. The trade barriers that get put up just mean that IT buyers can't select from the global marketplace for the most cost-effective innovation and security technologies. Instead of blanket bans on countries and companies, we propose a framework that buyers, including governments, can use to evaluate the security of products and their supply chains. It's a messy world out there and one cannot eliminate risk. We advocate for objective risk-based standards for technology security so that users can knowledgeably manage risk, not try to eliminate it. In the current environment, the issue has become politicized and is no longer about cybersecurity. Not so long ago, the Trump administration agreed to relieve restrictions on Huawei if the Chinese agreed to buy more American soybeans. I guess you could say that with our report, we're trying to inject a little rationality into this otherwise irrational debate. Bruce, can you share thoughts about the East versus West perspective and some of the nuances navigating the geopolitical issues that have arisen due to the US trade barriers? Nicole, you've asked a fascinating question by using the word perspectives. In the US, we have long drawn a bright line between so-called national security and economic security. The defense establishment deals with the former and the trade team, like Robert did, deals with the latter. It's changing somewhat, but these stovepipes don't go away easily. And in the US, of course, we tend to avoid letting the government get overly involved in regulating business and the economy. The Eastern viewpoint is very different. Economic security is seen as an element of a nation's security, and the government role extends into that sphere quite actively. So the two sides are playing different games on the same playing field. This leads to misperceptions, miscalculations, overreactions, and conflict. So it's broader than trade barriers. It's about the role of government in devising national strategy and managing the domestic economy. The U.S. may disagree with the approach Eastern countries are taking, but we don't even have a coherent theory of the case, no unified strategy. This puts us at a disadvantage. Thank you. Let me also ask you about trade from two perspectives where you have direct experience, both business and government. How do you think the U.S. businesses should be thinking about cyberspace and trade in terms of bottom line to companies, the opportunity and risk? What do you think the U.S. government should be considering at the intersection of cyberspace policy and international trade? Companies have no choice but to participate in cyberspace. It's become a utility like electricity and water. It's one of the great future opportunities and also a huge business threat from more agile competitors around the world. So U.S. companies must continue to lead in innovation, not just in technology, but in business processes. And the government needs to stay out of the way until they get too big, which is something that may actually be happening now as we see with the tech giants on Capitol Hill. The international trade aspects play into this. I don't think you are gonna see Xi Jinping trying to break up Alibaba or Huawei. They view them as national champions. 
So we need to limit monopolistic power without hurting consumers and the economy. It's a tightrope walk. Bruce, anything that we've missed that you'd like to talk about today? Well, Robert, we haven't talked about COVID or the U.S. election. <laughs> yes, indeed. And I, I don't know when this podcast is going to run. So <laughs> After I'm the U.S. election. It. All yeah. right. So I won't make any predictions. I would just say that COVID has made everyone aware of how important the internet is to education and commerce, and also aware of the gaps in access between poor and rich communities, which exacerbates the social and economic inequality. We have also learned, again, that we need to protect our electoral infrastructure, not just technologically, but the people and processes. Democracy is beautiful, but it's a high maintenance activity. So Bruce, I'd like to conclude with a personal question, and this is really one we like to ask all of our guests and one we'd like to pose to you. What book are you currently reading? Uh, share a little bit about sort of food for thought about this as we wrap up. And Nicole and I are always looking for good recommendations, as well as I'm sure our listeners are. Robert, as you know, I write poetry in my spare time. Recently, a Russian friend sent me an excerpt from a famous poem by Alexander Pushkin, written about 200 years ago. The poem is about freedom and leadership in its way. The excerpt which he sent me calls forth the archaic instrument, the lyre, and it goes something like this. For a long time, I will be endeared by the people for the kindness my lyre awakened, that in this harsh age, I exclaimed freedom's virtues and called for mercy for the fallen. May we all evoke such leadership in America in the days to come. Absolutely beautiful, a wonderful way to close. Thank you so much. For our listeners, you can access information about Bruce McConnell in our show notes or at kroll.com slash global trade talks. We invite our listeners to subscribe to our Global Trade Talk series and join us as we welcome guests to share insights on key global issues and business law and public policy. You can find all of our episodes on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you so much. Global Trade Talks is a podcast brought to you by Kroll & Mooring LLP. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or anywhere you listen to podcasts. And if you enjoy our show, please leave us a review. You can find more information at kroll.com slash global trade talks.